text. Well, good morning. Well, let's try it again. Good morning. My name is Chris Lyons. I'm the uh, new guy, one of the new guys on staff, a pastor of Children, Youth, and Family Ministries. And I've been here for just a little over two months getting settled. And I want to thank you for your warm welcome to uh, the Bethany family. Uh, my family moved up. Lisa is my wife and our three kiddos. And so we've just been trying to get settled. I'm trying to learn some names. Failing, but trying. And uh, I had a blast helping with KSA music and loved the energy of the kiddos who are here. I got some time at middle school camp and high school camp. And I just want to say to all parents who are here, your, your children are tremendous. You're doing an awesome job. And so I'm blessed to journey with you. Love working with our staff team and the volunteers that I've met. I think it's going to just be a great season as we continue to discover what it means to be an intergenerational church that creates a spiritual safety net to love all our kids closer to Jesus. So I just want to say thanks for the warm welcome. Uh, People this week have been asking me if I was nervous about my first sermon here at Bethany. And I was tempted at first to say yes, but then I thought about it. And I had uh, an experience several years ago at my last church when I showed up to preach. And this is what the reader board said with the little put-in things there. Youth Pastor Christ Lyons. (laughs) So once the expectations are set there, everything else seems a little bit easy. So... I don't know if that was the experience of people that day, but actually, I think that should be our hope and expectation is that we don't just hear from someone teaching, that we hear from God today about how this text may uh, have an impact in our heart and our lives. So in, in preparation for this morning, I was thinking a lot about this word needy. I just kept thinking about it over and over, about this word needy. It doesn't take long to look in the papers on the news to see about need all over our world, places of uh, just outright conflict and destruction, uh, people struggling with being uh, displaced from their homes, even in our own country, celebrating the anniversary of um, just situations of hate and racial divide, even closer to home, just crazy stories about someone's hurt and hopelessness that led them to take a plane, right? Interesting. So we we see need all over the headlines, but there are times, if I'm honest, when I look at my own life, I have to confess that I lean into my self-sufficiency a lot. I think about the fact that uh, I'm not nearly as needy as others. I've got my smartphone. I can go to the internet to get any answer. I've got resources that can fix problems. At times, I can deny my sense of neediness. When, when was the last time you had a great need that was not fixable on your own? A relational meltdown, a physical challenge, stress or concern around finances, or maybe hopelessness around school, vocation? When was the last time you were experiencing a situation of great need for you? I was thinking about this personally, um, and quickly I remembered a situation a year and a half ago when I suffered an injury. We were on a youth retreat at Mount Hood, and my wife encouraged me not to go skiing so I wouldn't get hurt. So I went tubing, came home from tubing and was playing basketball with middle schoolers, and obviously I'm in peak physical condition, so (laughs) that was more laughter than necessary. (laughs) And... uh, 
I, w- I wasn't slam dunking or anything. I did this. I went to get a rebound, and I went like this. And across my right knee, I heard a pop, and it felt like someone just took a, a, a bat and swung right at my kneecap. I buckle. I fall on the ground. I'm screaming, help me, help me. The kids keep playing because I'm always faking injuries to slow them down. <laughs> Not the wisest thing I discovered. Like three minutes there, like, uh, guys, he's really crying. We should get a grown-up. And so I blew my lower tendon. If you're queasy, you might not want to look at this, this uh, x-ray. That doesn't take a medical professional to know that's not where your kneecap's supposed to be. Because I pulled my knee up, and there's a divot where my kneecap was supposed to be because my quad just pulled it clear up. Get rid of that picture. Oh, my gosh. So I was broken, and I, was, I needed to move to get help. So they brought an ambulance clear up the mountain and, and took me back, x-rayed it, had surgery, and three months in a straight leg uh, brace on crutches, wheelchair didn't drive. And I learned a lot about need in that season. And even, even as Jesus was healing my body, I had to partner with that. I went to the physical terrorist, I mean physical therapist. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Went to the physical therapist and, and worked it out. But even today, every other step, I feel it. And it's amazing how these moments shape us. Our needs can even come to define us. So for you, for you, how does the word needy strike you? We're going to be looking at the text today where they talk about need to the nth degree. Neediness with a capital N. In the, specifically in the lives of two individuals. But thankfully, the story actually links the word needy with another powerful word, faith. Needy faith. And I believe today, we're, as we look at this story, we're going to see examples of how needy faith steps out of the crowd in trusting Jesus with their hurt. And it'd be my hope as we look at these different characters and these situations that God's Spirit would speak to your heart about your place of neediness, that you too could step out of the crowd and trust him. Would you please pray with me? Father, we need to confess there are times we are in denial of our need. We lean into our self-sufficiency. We're reluctant to take a step of faith. Even at times we've tasted the restoration that comes from you, but it's hard for us to come to the point of desperation that moves us to your feet and cries out to you, helps us rely on the fact that you are a healer. We can't do it on our own. Today, Lord, bring life to us. Bring hope to our needy places. This text is full of people being called to you, Jesus, called to community, even called to wholeness. May that become true for us today. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, Lord Jesus. Amen. This is an amazing story. Maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, It's a story full of characters, and I hope that you can see yourself in the midst of the story as well. Um, You're welcome to follow along on the note sheet. Uh, I've provided uh, a bit of outline. We're going to talk about the main point of what needy faith is, and then we're going to look specifically at two characters, both comparing and contrasting their sameness, and even the differences they had, but all all the same, they were met by Jesus in a miracle-making way. As I jump in the story, I think the first character I want us to consider might be a little bit odd is the character of the crowd. 
I want to start by looking at the crowd. If you're familiar with the gospel narratives, there story after story, Jesus drew a crowd. He must not have had any issues with personal space because crowds followed Jesus. When he taught, there were crowds. When he did miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000, there were crowds. When he healed, there were crowds. On that Sunday, there was a crowd waving palms saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On that Friday, there was a crowd in the courtyard with Pilate who's crying, crucify. Jesus draws a crowd. Now I'm thinking about how that crowd relates to Jesus and specifically just the nature of crowds in general. It seems like crowds have a tendency to lean back. That they're showing up to check out Jesus, to see the show, to maybe catch a miracle in action, but they're not engaging him as much as they're leaning back. It's easy to be passive. Being in a crowd can become a spectator sport and not engaged in the action. So there's this crowd waiting for Jesus. At the same time, I, I have to say that it's amazing to see how Jesus relates to crowds. In Matthew chapter 9, it says that Jesus looked on the crowd and he had compassion upon them. He, his gut was wrenching because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus loved the crowds, but he didn't want to leave them there. He wanted to draw them out. It's interesting the words, of, the words uh, that are used in this text about the crowd because they're very active words and yet they're not really engaging Jesus. It talks about how the crowd was pressing around them. The same word is used by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 that we're pressed, we're pressed down but not crushed. It actually says that the crowd was crushing him like, like grapes get crushed to make wine or olives are crushed to make olive juice. It says that Jesus was harassed by this crowd, that, that actually they were surrounding him in such a way that it was actually choking him. The same word that he used earlier when he talked about the sower and the seed and how the weeds, they sprout up and they choke the plant. All these active words, but they're not engaging Jesus. They're leaning out. They're watching what's going to happen. Maybe you've had experiences in crowds. I was back uh, doing a bucket list thing in Columbus, Ohio a couple of falls ago. I went to school at a little school there, but I went to an Ohio State game in the horseshoe against Michigan where Ohio State won in double overtime. I could go into it, but I think about that's probably the biggest crowd I was part of. 110,625 of my closest friends were all watching the Buckeyes do it, but the interesting thing about crowds is we kind of were filing out the crowd takes you away. You are literally in the stream of people. Going, you can't fight it going where they go. And I think that's true in these biblical stories as well. The crowd can kind of take you away. It is hard to push against that stream and step out. And yet two amazing people do that in the story today. They step out with a needy faith. Now, if we're honest, we might even say some of the challenge of stepping out has to do with our expectations of those people who are called out of the crowd, that we don't feel like a super believer or a especially holy person. There's nothing significant about me. I can't qualify for stepping out of the crowd to follow Jesus. I'm reminded of a quote from a, a guy who's in the youth ministry field. He's he said that he had this vision one time of being in the crowd that was listening to Jesus and Jesus pointed right to him and said, you, you, come follow me. 
And this guy, Mike, was like, oh my gosh. And he started to walk toward Jesus and in, in his vision, he said, then Jesus said, oh no, oh, no, no, not you, sir, the one right next to you. Yeah, yeah, you come follow me. <laughs> we get tricked into believing somehow we're, we're not up to the task or we're not qualified to follow Jesus. Friends, don't buy that lie. What you're gonna see in the text today is all of us are called. If you have a need, you're qualified to step out, to reach, to touch, to experience a miracle from the hand of Jesus. I stumbled across this picture in my preparation and I, I reflected on it in several different ways. First, I think about that woman who had been afflicted for all those years. It was an issue of bleeding. She was actually ceremonially unclean in her community and anyone who touched her would become unclean as well. She'd been rejected all those years and yet she reaches out, steps out of the crowd with a needy faith and grabs the hem of his robe and experiences healing instantaneously. I think of her reaching in faith. I also thought, well maybe, maybe that hand is actually the hand of Jairus. Later on, as the woman comes forward and Jesus is listening to her whole story, I wonder if Jairus wasn't tugging on Jesus' robe saying, ah, I'm losing my patience. My daughter's dying. Just tugging, tugging, tugging. Maybe today that hand is you. As you consider your place of need, maybe God's calling you to step out, reach, and just touch and believe. Jesus, you can show up in this situation in the way I most need. Keep that picture in your mind, a, a needy faith that steps out and trusts. So I'd like to do a little bit of a review of the passage so that we can look at the lives of these two characters, these two main actors, and see how their experience of stepping out in needy faith is so powerful. And we'll look at the fact that they, while they had so much in common, we'll look at a list of those things they also had all of these differences. And despite these differences, Jesus did a miracle for both of them in a way that was life-altering. So to review, Jesus shows up, the crowd is there to meet him, and then, then this, this leader of the church, Jairus, comes forward. And I kind of imagine the crowd parting a little bit for this respected man in their community. And he comes begging he interrupts Jesus wherever he was going, comes begging, my daughter is dying, you must come. I'm struck by this text and other, other stories of Jesus. Jesus, my friends, was so interruptible. It seems like Jesus always was like going on his way somewhere, but the real story becomes this divine interruption where he turns and he meets a need. Aren't you glad that Jesus is interruptible? I sure am. So he goes to start walking with Jairus to meet the need of this little girl. And then in the middle of this crushing, pressing crowd, a woman who most likely had to even be incognito to be hid so all the people would not even know she was unclean. She's sneaking through the crowd and she grabs the hem of his robe and experiences this healing. And Jesus does the most bizarre thing. He turns around and goes, who touched me? I felt power go out. Now, don't believe for a second Jesus didn't know about the woman. He wasn't taken by surprise. This isn't magic, it's a miracle. But she knew that she could no longer be unnoticed. And so she came forward at his feet, just as Jairus had fallen. 
and was trembling, told Jesus in front of the whole crowd his whole story, her whole story, all those years of hurt and need and how she'd been healed. And how does Jesus respond to her daughter? He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then the bad news comes from Jairus' house. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is gone. Jairus probably had been tugging and this bad news comes. But look how Jesus turns quickly face to face with Jairus and says, fear not. Just believe your daughter will be healed. She will be saved. She will be made whole. And then they beat feet to the house of Jairus. And there's another crowd mourning. She says, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. They mock him in laughter. Sometimes when we're grieving, we do crazy things. They mock him in laughter. And Jesus takes his closest disciples, the, the, the man Jairus and his wife, and they go into this girl's room. And Jesus takes her by the hand, his touch of this little girl. And he, he says, little child, get up. And she's healed instantaneously. And then he says that super spiritual thing. He says, get this kid a Pop-Tart. <laughs> Feed her. She's alive. She's well. They're amazed, astounded. He says, don't tell anyone. But they carried it in their hearts. I think about this story in so many levels, so many ways, but that Jesus was interruptible, that Jesus was botherable blows me away because we, all of us, can come. I'm reminded of another time when Jesus was with his disciples, had an itinerary on the way somewhere, and there was a crowd, and this little crowd comes, their parents with their children, wanting Jesus to put his hands on them, to touch them, to bless them. And Jesus' disciples, they had it figured out. He got places to go, people to see, things to do. This wasn't on the agenda. They tell these families, your kids aren't that important. And actually in their culture, kids were not that important. But for Jesus, he was interruptible. He was botherable. He puts the disciples in their place and then he says to these families, Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If anyone doesn't receive the kingdom like a little child, they'll never know what it's about. And then he took the children in his hands. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Jesus was interruptible. Amazing. For us then, today, as we think about the heart of this text i think the point of it all that needy faith steps out of the crowd how do we personally engage it this is a story of two encounters with christ that we just can't talk about on a sunday morning we have to ask ourselves what about my encounters with christ what about my needy place am i willing to step out in faith so here's what i want us to think about with With that in mind, we're going to reflect on some of the common elements, the thing that these two characters have in common, Jairus and this woman, and then some of their differences, but in spite, despite their differences, Jesus still shows up in a healing way. So let's start with some of the things that they have in common. First of all, they stepped out. Jairus had probably exhausted everything he knew 
every, every response to his daughter's illness, everything he could do. So he runs to this healer in the crowd parts and he goes and says, please come. This woman squeezed between people to just get a touch. They stepped out and they had a needy faith. I love that in the message version of Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes, it reads, blessed are you when you're at your end of your rope because then there's less of you and more of me, Jesus says. These friends were at the end of the rope. This woman, it says, had spent everything she'd had on doctors. In Mark's recollection of this, this text, Mark says that the doctors, not only did they not help, they made things worse. Her condition worsened. Tremendously broken, needy faith. I have a friend who battled uh, some addiction issues and she just said to me that there is a time in our life where we literally need to hit rock bottom, where we know we can't do this on our own. That we can admit our power, powerlessness and find out that Jesus has power to save. Both Jairus and this woman, they fell on their knees before him, overwhelmed by their, their need for hope intervening, healing, intervening, surrendering at the feet of Jesus. And through that, they experienced wholeness. And look what Jesus did. It wasn't just a physical healing that happened. It was actually a restoration of community. The reason that Jesus told that woman, daughter, your faith has made you well, is because he wanted her to be restored in the eyes of the community. She was no longer an outsider, but she was included and welcomed and loved. I think while Jesus is saying to Jairus, don't fear, have faith, she will be made well, he wasn't just wanting to do a physical healing of the daughter, he was wanting to increase the faith of this man in that moment. They experienced a wholeness and a healing through a touch. The woman who touched Jesus, Jesus who picked up that daughter by her hand and said, stand up, little one. You might even say their commonality is that you could name this story the tale of two daughters. That call to that, that woman, daughter, is, it's a call about identity, about her sense of value in his eyes. Daughter, of being welcomed into a wider family of God. Now th think about that for a moment. It's interesting, and Kendi actually spoke to this last week, how our language betrays issues of identity. Sometimes we struggle to actually use a kind of a people-first way of language. Even in my Bible, the little heading above this scripture says, a sick woman and a dead girl. Our condition, our hurt, our brokenness, sometimes we let it define us, right? Jesus flips that on its head and says, no, no, you're not a sick woman, you're a daughter. She's no longer a dead girl, she's a daughter or a son. I'm amazed that even with my knee injury, how I let that define and refine who I felt in my identity, my sense of value. I gotta tell a, a quick story. Probably the ways in which I've had uh, been shaken up most around this issue of language is helping out with a mission trip at a camp called Camp Attitude. And this is outside Salem, Oregon. I've been there five times. And it hosts families who have kids with special needs for a week. 
And then high school students go as buddies. They're in the yellow shirts. And they're playmates with the kids with needs and their, their siblings for 12 hours a day while their parents get respite in that, that, that campground. And then there are other people who do behind-the-scenes service and everything. This place has reshaped how I've thought about identity. Because at Camp Attitude, these families show up with kids who have profound challenges, but they are not defined by those challenges. They're defined by their name and their belovedness and the fact that they matter and people invest in them and love them. They don't show up and people say, oh, that, that autistic boy or that, that's, that's a Downs girl or that's a wheelchair kid. They're called by name and it's, it's reshaped my sense of understanding identity in these settings. For these families, that week is a taste of heaven, a taste of the kingdom. I think it's true. One mom, in the end of the, the sharing time, she was talking. It's her first time there. She had two boys there. And she just wept and said, I have never had my kids so loved as they are loved here. And then as she stumbles to go forward, she goes, and I've never felt so loved as well. Those are issues of identity, of calling people by name, son, daughter, beloved, and not by their condition. I think it's true in this passage, the way, the sense of commonality that Jesus accepts both of these hurting ones in love into the family of God. As Needy Faith stepped out of the crowd, these two characters had much, much in common. But they also had some tremendous differences and it's, it's incredible to reflect on these differences and see how, despite the differences, Jesus shows up as healer. Let's just lift some of these because I think if we know that needy faith leads to such a miracle, we have to accept that wherever people are on the spectrum of life, wherever you consider yourself on this journey of faith, you are qualified and invited to experience the healing hand of Jesus. So a list of their differences. First, there's a man and a woman, and in that culture, that made a big deal. But moreover, it was a holy, respected man in the community, a church leader that people would looked up and admired. And then look at this, this continuum. Then this, this woman who'd been struggling with an issue of bleeding, she would have been an outcast, rejected by her community for her condition for all those years, a decade plus. Despite their differences, though, Jesus meets them in a way of healing. I picture the scene where the crowd probably parts a bit for Jairus, but the woman had to push through to make her faith step happen. I think about those 12 years. Consider the difference of the 12 years in the life of Jairus. A dad of a, an only daughter delighted. I have a Two daughters. I love being a dad of daughters. And the first 12 years are great. Teenage years? No, I'm just kidding. Love you guys. Teenage years are awesome. <laughs> but this dad had experienced a fullness of joy in a house of laughter with his daughter for 12 years. Contrast that with this woman who'd experienced brokenness and rejection and denial of any sense of family or welcome for 12 years. But despite their difference, Jesus brings healing. Jairus meets him face to face. The woman had to push through for a sneaky tag. But the point of their differences, the way that Jesus responds, is that grace is for all. 
Grace is for all those who are near, and grace is for all of those who are far. Of course, if you're anything like me, it reminds me of the amazing theologian Grover from Sesame Street, right? Do you remember? He's coming up, he's like, here. Far. Near. Oh, you guys like that. You remember that. Whoever is on this continuum, you are qualified to receive the healing touch of God. No matter where you are on the spectrum, God has healing and hope for you. It is a big tent. These friends, these two individuals who had something in co- so much in common but so many differences, the point was their needy faith stepped out of the crowd, reached out in their hurt, and Jesus met them with a miracle. So it begs us to consider again for us, what about you and I today in our place of great need? What do we do with our hurt? What is true about our encounter with Christ today? So to make it personal, think about that place of great need. I was with some students on Wednesday at North Star and was asking them about the needs in their lives. And they listed these kind of things. They listed doubt about themselves, anxiety, depression, pressure to perform, lack of acceptance. They talked about loneliness. They talked about their need for sleep. In all those hurts, in all those places, maybe you can relate. And Jesus wants to show up. There's a fractured friendship. If there's a hurting relationship, if there's fear about the future, stress about the present, Jesus wants you to step out in faith. You know, just uh, briefly about my story, I grew up in Salt Lake City, actually, and I didn't grow up going to church, but somewhere around when I was about 12, my parents decided it would be good for me to get confirmed. Anyone relate to that, that term? I didn't even know what it was. It sounded kind of painful, confirmed. But anyhow, so we show up at this Lutheran church in Sandy, Utah, and I'd always kind of believed in God, that God was out on the, the, the cloud somewhere, uh, kind of running the universe with a supercomputer, had the headphones on, doing the prayer thing like a, like a operate, old-style operator thing. Okay, I'm the only weird one. But anyhow, that's how I pictured God very far away. But I discovered as I was hanging out with these students, these peers, and these young adults, especially and some of the leaders there, that they would talk about Jesus in a personal way that was near. That somehow Jesus knew them by name. So I was part of the crowd for that, that couple years, just kind of checking out what this whole faith journey with Jesus thing was all about. Then we got to Confirmation Day. And my youth pastor, TJ, he talked to us. He said, today, don't just go through the motions. If you've never fully said yes to Jesus, make this your day to open, the, open up the door of your heart and say yes to Jesus. We were full-on robes and carnations. And that, for my friends, was the first time I actually heard that that kind of step, that kind of stepping out with needy faith is what God called us to. And I, it was my Christian birthday, so I was glad I was, I was dressed up for it, obviously. But I wasn't bleeding. I was lonely. I wasn't dead. Well, maybe spiritually dead. But I know for a fact that I came alive. Parts of me came alive when I fully said yes to Jesus in that moment. You can probably, in your own mind, think of times and places where you took a step too. Something powerful about taking a step 
out from the crowd because I knew in those moments I mattered to Jesus personally. I was no longer just a face in the crowd. However, however, there are certain seasons when I believe we feel like I've done everything I can to step out, to reach out, to, to cast my cares on Christ, knowing he cares for me, and my miracle's not coming. The prognosis doesn't get better. My financial situation doesn't improve. I'm showing up at a funeral. You've tasted those situations as well. My friends, as I think about that, I had a couple of, of folks I reached out to over the week because they came to mind because they're in the midst of these kind of hurting seasons. I have a friend whose mother-in-law died after a battle. Both of his parents are, are struggling with cancer and operations. My friend just have wave after wave after wave of discouragement come on him. He says, every morning up, I get up and I read my Psalms and I, I cry, cry out to a God who I don't feel like is there. He's doing all he can to reach out, step out with needy faith. I have another friend who, uh, uh, she was 18 years old and she passed away last spring with complications to a, a lung situation. And I texted her parents this week, just asked how they were doing. I was thinking of them and struck by the fact that their celebration of Nina's life, the dad just got up there and said, our baby wasn't even supposed to be born. There were all these obstacles to overcome and we had 18 years of joy with her and we trust and believe in those 18 years that she, she experienced God and that the light of her, the impact of her witness will continue after her death. And they were talk, talk to me this week about how hard it was, but they're still hanging on and still reaching out and trusting Jesus. In these seasons, I feel like we probably can relate a lot to what it must have been like for Jairus between that moment of bad news and the healing of his daughter. Think about that that walk from that spot when he heard, your daughter's dead, don't bother the master anymore. And Jesus looks at him and says, fear not, have faith, she will be healed. Between that spot and the miracle must have been excruciating. And much of life for us probably is in that kind of, that kind of journey where we don't see the miracles exactly like we'd want answered. We don't see the path lived out like we want. And even then, We want to still lean in, fear not, believe that it's going to be okay. Here's a great quote for those kind of moments. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God's being present in the mess of our unfixedness. That we can lean on and trust that Jesus will be there no matter what. So friends, if you're hurting, you're qualified. If you're aching, you are invited. Whatever your place of need. In a few moments, we're going to end with this song, um, Come Ye Sinners. And there's this last verse, it's tremendous. It says, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. God doesn't want us to clean up our act before we come to him. He wants us to come open, broken, needy, 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 but come in faith. I'd invite you, there's a little part of your your, inst- your bulletin insert, you can even jot down your place of need, rip it off, and come forward during the, the singing, and you can set them up front. Our, our church staff will 
look through these and pray through these. Sometimes we're called to take a step wherever you're at in your place of need. Be reminded that needy faith steps out of the crowd and Jesus will meet them there. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we this day would receive this story in a new way, that it would give us a new encounter with you, Jesus, that helps us be open in our brokenness and fully faithful even as we wait for prayers to be answered. Wherever each heart is in this room, not just to reach out for your healing touch, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.